0: Paul Grantham is a voluntary national park ranger who collects folk stories of the North Yorkshire moors. And he once researched extensively a curious new story called The Story of the Silpho Flying Saucer. apparently begins one evening in 1957 when a Fred Taylor and his friend, Frank Dickinson, and another person named later, left the Mill Inn in Harewood to return to their homes in Scarborough. As they drove up Reesty Bank in the North Yorkshire National Park, they were somewhat startled to see a strange red glow descending just out of sight of the top of the moor on a ridge above Broxa Forest, says Grantham. The exact chain of events now fades, clouded by conflicting claims and counterclaims, threats and huge sums of money. Mr. Taylor climbed out of the car and up the hillside, where he discovered a strange object in the heather. He said it looked like everyone's conception of a typical flying saucer. He claimed the object weighed three or four stones. Well, he couldn't carry it himself, so he returned to the car for help. His friend drove the car up to the top of the bank, and they all walked over to the object. As they walked across the moor, Grantham says they were somewhat surprised to see a man and a woman approaching and passing them without comment, although actually some versions later claim a conversation took place. Well, Grantham says, strangely, despite the men's search, they were now unable to find the object that had descended from the sky. It was winter, and not being dressed to be out on the moors in such cold weather, eventually the men left intending to return with warmer coats, wellingtons and torches. When they returned, a short while later, despite being better armed for a thorough search, they still could not locate the mysterious object. Finally, they gave up and went home. They couldn't forget the incident, however, and so they sought out the help of local man Anthony Parker, a solicitor. He was also rumoured to have a very keen interest in ufology and the paranormal. On talking with him, he suggested that they place an advert in the local newspaper offering a reward for anyone with information about that night to come forward. The advert resulted in the location on the moors becoming flooded with search parties of people out hunting for the curious lost item, says the park ranger. It is claimed that some of these groups were armed with shotguns, others carried huge wads of money, whilst others roamed in heavy military-type disguises. Apparently, someone must have found the object, as, eventually, an offer to sell was received, a price was agreed, a meeting was fixed. But the vendors, unprepared for such a large reception, apparently, according to the park ranger, chickened out at the last minute. But not before, he says, in true James Bond style, scribbling a message on the back of a cigarette packet and throwing it out of the car window. The message offered another meet-up at a more isolated part of the Moors in the National Park. On the proviso that only two from the purchasing group attend this time. Well, this time, Mr Dickinson handed over £10 in the darkness of the exchange. It would seem that this exchange did then go ahead successfully, with the mysterious object being handed over for a price. It would transpire that the mystery seller of the object was apparently the same man that had passed the original searches, accompanied by a woman, on the night they had looked for it after seeing it descend from the sky. The buyer, it also transpired, was the solicitor, and he brought the object to his home. It was 18 inches in diameter and shaped like a flattened spinning top. The base appeared to be made of copper, and it had some unusual hieroglyphics on it. A drill was used to cut through the object. Inside was white powder ash and a roll of copper wired up tightly. Once unrolled, it appeared to be a small book. There were 17 pages in this small book made of copper pages, and each page had inscriptions similar to the hieroglyphics on the exterior of the object. It was writing of some kind, comprised mostly of the letters T and V. Mr Parker apparently told the press that he had advised Mr Dickinson to hand it to the Air Ministry, adding... I do not think it is a flying saucer and I do not believe such things come from outer space. The discovery got into the newspapers and speculation arose about what the object was and what the hieroglyphics in the pages of the little book meant. Many of the letters were at odd angles. The owner of the object, the solicitor, apparently had scrutinized it for military markings but found none. Professor B. Lovell of Jodrell Bank Experimental Station which is now the Telescope Observatory within the University of Manchester, gave his opinion at the time that perhaps it was possible it had fallen from a passing aircraft. Skeptics claimed the saucer was made from a domestic hot water cylinder and planted on the moor as an elaborate ruse. But tests that were carried out at Manchester University revealed the object's copper parts were of an unusually high purity. Air Chief Marshal Lord Dowding, who led the RAF during the Battle of Britain in World War Two, revealed in 1959 that he had held and examined the object. He described it as a miniature pilot flying saucer, and said that he was convinced it was a genuine artefact from space, according to the report in the Yorkshire Post. Grantham, the park ranger, adds that an amateur space enthusiast claimed He had deciphered the hieroglyphics on the strange object, and that it was this enthusiast's opinion that it actually came from the planet Mercury, adding that it had been most likely launched from a scout ship en route to Yeovil, in the county of Somerset. Quite why they would specifically choose the rural town of Yeovil is anyone's guess. For anyone wishing to see the object now, a photograph apparently appeared in the Yorkshire Post newspaper on December ninth, 1957. But the park ranger says, Mysteriously, pages 2 and 3 of every library copy, which presumably must be the pages that showed the object, have been removed. He says, well, in 2007, the Yorkshire Post produced an update on the still unsolved object that had fallen onto the moors of the national park. It says hoax or contact? Enigma of the Sylpho saucer. It has given flying saucer enthusiasts fifty years of conspiracy theories to prove the truth really is out there. Fifty years since a mysterious machine was found smoldering in bushes on remote moorland. The village of Silfo, tucked away deep in the North York Moors, has become an unlikely focal point for an army of UFO hunters and paranormal investigators searching for definitive evidence about alien life. Set up half a century ago, the British Flying Saucer Bureau is leading the investigations, reported the newspaper. Spokesman Russ Kellett has been researching the case for more than a decade. He says this really is one of the original X-Files. We're trying to find out if the saucer is still in existence. Who knows? If we find out more about it, we might be able to prove that this is conclusive evidence the human race has been contacted by alien life forms. This would mark perhaps the most important development known to mankind. Harry Challenger, editor of the Flying Saucer Review, said: The disk like the Roswell incident, appears to be a signal or awakening call, although we cannot be certain from whom. There is the enigma that the object has gone missing, and it has never been authenticated. The report continues. The exact ownership of the flying saucer has become increasingly murky. Rumours emerged that it had been sold to a scrapyard and lost forever, while others laid claim to an even more bizarre version of events that the saucer had in fact turned up in a fish and chip shop in Scarborough. Well, fast forward to 2018, and the newspaper that first broke the story, the Yorkshire Post, reported it had been found. Fragments have been unearthed after being hidden away for decades in a science museum archive. After decades of hunting for the location of the mystery object, it was found. that all this time... The object had been hidden away in an archive. For half a century, the missing pieces of this puzzle have been sitting inside a tin cigarette box at the Science Museum Group's archive, more than 200 miles away from the wild moorland where the object had been found. Papers in the museum archives reveal the remains were sent to London for examination by experts, including a section of the metal and tiny pieces from the book. The museum passed them to Gordon Claringbull of the Natural History Museum, who specialised in meteorites and explosives. In a memo, he apparently said he was prepared to wager anything that the pieces of metal were made on Earth. So had it been an elaborate prank? Let's go back to the fish and chip shop, the purported location of the hidden object. Well, Scarborough Cafe owner Philip Longbottom claimed to have somehow deciphered the hieroglyphics. He said the whole process took a week of solid concentration. It was soon found that each symbol had several alternative meanings, depending on its position under, over, or across the line or proximity to the line. The whole thing is not just a simple substitution code, but a very complicated effort. To make up a complicated language like this would seem to be out of all proportion to a hoax, however elaborate. He continues, "I firmly believe this is not a made-up language, but one in constant use." Although he also admits, "I am not a cipher expert, and I am not particularly intelligent." He said the message he had deciphered in the fish and chip shop in Scarborough began as such: "My name is Ulo, and I write this message to you. Where I live, I will not say." No one from any other planet has ever landed on Earth, and your reports to the contrary are faulty. Men cannot travel far in space, owing to sudden changes in speed direction and many other reasons. The message continues, but it seems to come from another entity now. From here to end of message is written by me, Tangi. I am since three Earth years secretary for ULO since he injured his arm repairing space vehicle. He lost swimming race with me and I made him tell me reason. I am of height four times across space vehicle. Hair is long to waste except for swimming, and sport when worn on head. We live one to six Earth years. I should like to print my picture, but Ulo says it would burn off. I obtained old damaged space vehicle and alter it to land without signal from ground. This will cause vehicle to break on landing, but message should remain. We listen now to records. Sur le point, Also, Charleston, Les Amours. The message continued, mostly with warnings to Earth's population to take more care of their planet. But if the object was deemed by scientists in 2018 not to come from outer space, then presumably this translated message was rather incorrect. Some researchers have called it the most elaborate, most expensive UFO hoax ever perpetrated. National Park Ranger Paul Grantham adds a mysterious sequel to the story. It appears to be little known, and while it can't be independently verified, it offers an intriguing possible answer to the mysterious puzzle. Grantham's twist goes as such. I received an email from a reliable source who told me he knew of the whole incident. The unidentified object that fell onto the moors that night was in fact a batch of secret surveillance objects, codenamed PF-228. Three of those launched went astray, two falling into the Atlantic. Grantham says he recognised my description of the object and he was working at the base at the time of their launch. They were deliberately disguised as UFOs for the very reason that we discovered. If one were to be found, no one would believe anything about it. So how did the Scarborough Unqualified, not particularly intelligent codebreaker break the code of the message then? Did he simply make the language up as he went along? Fooling himself, he was actually deciphering an ancient alien language. (laughs) you.